again, and we'll sing 373, Jesus Never Fails, number 373. him a whole bunch though and uh, he still loves me and uh, he still desires to use us and uh, what a privilege it is to be a part uh, of the greatest business in all the world I love when Jesus was left by the way we leave him a lot of times too don't we and when he was left Mary and Joseph came back and he said wish you not I must be about my father's business I am I am so proud uh, to get to be in his business the same time serving the same generation as you men Amen. and it is the high honor of my life and I appreciate you thank you so much for being here would you be seated just for a moment and thanks again for coming I hope you enjoyed uh, your meal uh, just a quick announcement for those of you out-of-town guests I know some of you are close but several of you uh, came from out of town and uh, we do have some uh, some leftover lunches we also have some pizza uh, and things left uh, that we found in a dumpster last week and uh, no leftover it's been in the refrigerator i promise uh, we are after the service we're going to set those out and for you out of town guests please feel free to take take some food to go back to your hotel uh, if it's a help to you we want to be a blessing and we want to use it up and if i eat it i'm going to get fat and if i get fat 
Well, I'm like, I better be good. Uh, but please, if you would, uh, be reminded of that. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Newman, would you come, come up and lead us in prayer? Brother Newman is a dear friend. He and I both are, uh, uh, have perfect heads. That's why God didn't cover them in hair. And uh, I appreciate Brother Newman. Brother Newman is not a uh, new to ministry. Brother Newman and I grew up in the same part of the world. Of course, he's, he could be my great-grandfather, but uh, <laughs> we're from the same part of the world. And uh, Brother Newman uh, is faithful, has uh, raised a wonderful family, and uh, doing a phenomenal job pastoring on the south side of our city. I appreciate him. We don't get to see each other very much, unfortunately, but I appreciate him. Brother Newman, would you come and open us in prayer for a session? Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here today, and God, it's just a joy to see everybody. Somebody commented, Lord, earlier about the good spirit. Lord, what a blessing it is, God, to be brothers, Lord, and um, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, first of all, thank you so much, Lord. It was just bread from heaven this morning. Thank you, Lord, and God, again, this afternoon, Lord, we pray that you'd uh, feed us again, help us, Lord. You know where we need help. And God, help us to carry away that which will help us, Lord, until you come. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand again. We'll sing 26. Great is thy faithfulness, number 26. Oh uh -huh. 
Praise God. Uh, I'm going to ask my daughter Elizabeth uh, to come to the piano. As she does so, and I'll introduce Pastor Wilkerson after she's done uh, singing, uh, but before she uh, starts, I want to uh, give a bit of an announcement, a bit of a, what's the word, advertisement preacher, is that right? And uh, we, uh, Hal Anderson College was very gracious uh, to send a bunch of uh, music CDs uh, to make available for us uh, this week, as well as they have uh, some USB drives back there that have uh, 50 songs from the past 50 years of the college. Uh, if, you, if you buy, which, which is the song one you're on, what CD? What's the name of it? You should know this. John, do you know? See, he's, he's learning. And uh, if, uh, if you buy one of those CDs, uh, how much are you charging for an autograph? Extra five bucks. And uh, no, the, the CDs are $10. And uh, I promise you they'll be a blessing. Uh, they'll be a help to you. Uh, also, uh, you um, folks in full-time service, you preachers, uh, we have a gift, our church, for you, and I'll be giving them to you tomorrow. We have a full packet of the Grace to Grow uh, Discipleship course, and I gave Brother Will a, uh, a packet about three or four weeks ago, and uh, less than 24 hours later, he was using it, discipling a young man, and wonderful materials. We want to give every one of you uh, a packet that has all of those booklets, uh, but also, a uh, pastor was so kind to bring a few uh sets of those books and they're back on the table if you'd like to get them and the prices are listed there uh, but I uh, highly 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 endorse we use the material and that's I'm excited tomorrow he's going to talk about it and I'm not going to talk anymore about it because I want him to do that tomorrow uh, but I want you to know that they're available I want thing I want it to be a blessing to you and Elizabeth is going to sing and then I'll come and introduce our speaker for the morning
before Pastor Wilkerson comes, I want to give you a, an endorsement that I think is a strong endorsement. Almost three years ago, I drove to the United States, the last time they let me cross the border. Uh, they have rejected me for quite a while now, uh, but I drove down and uh, I took Elizabeth uh, after she graduated from high school and I dropped her off at Howes Anderson College. I texted, your pa I texted Pastor Wilkerson the next day, I think, and I said, Pastor, I said, it's tough dropping your child off 2,000 miles away from home. I said, but I can do it with confidence because I trust knowing you're going to be your pastor. And that's the kind of confidence I have in Pastor Wilkerson. I love him. I appreciate him and his ministry. And I'm glad you could hear him this morning. Preacher, would you come and preach to us? Thank you very much, Pastor. It's a blessing to have Elizabeth there at the college. She lights up the campus, and we, we appreciate her. And uh, I thank you very much for that good song today. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Can we go there, please, if you would, please? 1 Peter chapter 5, and Brother Rice, I thank God for you and appreciate all the work that you have uh, done along with the Cornerstone Baptist Church family to help us in hosting such a meeting. Men and ladies, wherever you are, thank you for punching holes in the darkness with the gospel of Christ in your place. And you're doing a great work and don't want to come down. And God does not judge a church by its size. He judges it by its sort. And is it Christ-like? What's its Christ-likeness? And and uh, don't ever feel inferior in those areas. We want to do the best we can for the Lord, but uh, every field brings a different yield in every situation. And the First Baptist Church of Hammond was started by a missionary named Alan Hill. He and his wife came to Hammond at 52 years old. And uh, two other men had come to that city. It was a, it was a new city, but railroad ties and, and, uh, and uh, two slaughterhouses in the city. And uh, two other men came, and they went back and said, it's just too tough. He said, it's rough. Man. There's nothing there but brothels and saloons and, you know, old rough uh, rednecks working on the, on the railroad. <laughs> they went back, and, and they went back to the Coffee Creek Baptist Church in southern Indiana. And uh, one man named Alan Hill and his wife moved up to Hammond and rented a house in April of the 1887. And uh, then they started telling people about Jesus Christ. They gathered a Bible study in August and continued meeting with them in their home. And then on November the 28th, 1887, 135 years ago, they, uh, they uh, got 12 people to sign a charter. One married couple, two sisters, and a bunch of single men and ladies. And they signed the charter. Twelve members started the First Baptist Church of Hammond. It's the First Baptist Church there, so that's why it got named that. But, uh, you know, through the years, uh, he, he stayed just until April of the next year. And then Pastor Hewitt came and took the, the uh, fledgling group of people. And they outgrew the conference room of the Morton House Hotel where they were meeting at a hotel conference room up in the attic. And uh, then they, they negotiated with the opera house and said, could we use your opera house on Sunday morning? And we'll clean it and prepare it from the Saturday night, you know, stuff that goes on. And they did that for a while. Then the first mayor of Hammond... Uh, Mayor Toll, there's still streets named after him in the city, uh, had a piece of property on Sibley, and he and his wife had bought a property. He said, you know what, if you guys want this, we'll donate it to the church, and you can use it to put up a building if you want. And they put the first building up there. And then, of course, uh, the church uh, grew slowly but continually, and then it had its ups and downs. And 
Uh, it's had good years and hard years. And if you live 135 years, you'll have the same story as church has. <laughs> uh, it's not easy sustaining just every day being a great day. Every year is not an easy year. It's had some very difficult times. And, and of course, Brother Hiles, a Texas tornado showed up in Hammond in 1959 and stayed there for 42 years. And God used him in a wonderful way. It was always a soul-winning church. Uh, even before Brother Hiles came, it kind of gone into formalism prior to that. But uh, he came and he put soul winning on steroids and, and uh, started running uh, bus routes and got a bigger view for um, for the ministry of Chicago from Hammond right across the border. And, and of course, uh, then Brother Scott, whenever Brother Hiles died in, in uh, February of 2001, he uh, assumed the pastorate. And I think God used him in a wonderful way. Uh, I think it's, you'd really struggle hard to find a better handoff of a church to go from what it was to what it what it became for several years. And of course, sin complicates everything, doesn't it? And my sin complicates things. Your sin complicates things. And certainly, pride hides. And there was challenges that uh, that created a lot of pain. And uh, but I'm glad that there's a there's a God in heaven, and He loves His church, and uh, He loves it, and He's he wants to pastor your church. <laughs> He'd like to be the chief shepherd, and he'd like to, to have you and I as a good extension of him. And we certainly want the Lord's help, and I think that's the heart of Pastor Rice whenever he determined to take the oversight. And we heard such a good message today. Baby Brother Harn is talking about the calling, the duty, and the motives of pastoring people and overseeing a work for God. And I thank God for everything that's been said. It's been helpful to me. Uh, to listen to you. So glad to meet each of you. And may I also say to those uh, pastor's wives that are here and, and uh, how grateful I am and how grateful Linda and I are for you and your role. And uh, you can't under, underestimate the, uh, the help that you are. And sometimes uh, the sheep that needs a shepherd most lives under his roof. And sometimes we're not always that good of pastors uh, to our wives. But I thank God for the precious girls who have been so faithful through the years. Uh, I think of Alan Hill's wife, you know, who, who just decided to follow her husband at 52 years old without any children to rent a house and, and start a church in a new city. And I, I will meet that girl one day in heaven, but we'll have to tip her hat to her and say thank you for loving the Lord with your husband and being faithful, and I'm married to someone who helps me a lot, and I'm sure many of you are, and girls, for those of you who kind of live in somewhat of a, a competition between you and the ministry that God gave your husband, God made a man for a, for a garden, and uh, his, when he made the first man, he gave him three things right out of the box. He gave him a responsibility to dress and keep a garden. Then he gave him a rule, don't eat this tree. <laughs> the fruit of this tree. And then he gave him a relationship, first with his God, and then with you, and uh, with Eve in that, in that case. And, and uh, usually when men, we're a train wreck, is because we're not responsible, we don't keep rules, and we don't work on relationships. And uh, relationships don't happen good because you want them. They happen because you, you work at them. If you work at your marriage, your marriage will start working. You know, you stop working at it, it stops working. And relationships are things that must be, can have continual uh, prudence and sobriety to understand, okay, this is my responsibility. And, and uh, I feel like that a lot of it, God loves his bride, uh, the church. And uh, you'll never be the, and I'll never be the shepherd I'm supposed to be until I am learning to be the husband 
that Linda needs me to be. And I, I want the Lord to help me with that. You pray for me and pray especially for her. <laughs> she has to put up with me. <laughs> and so I'm very grateful for the, the opportunity to do that. First Peter chapter 5. And today, Pastor has asked us to talk a little bit about helping hurting people. Helping hurting people. And does anybody have like, anybody like that in your church that occasionally has some challenges? Okay. And um, that's the truth, isn't it? And uh, I think it was a guy named Joseph Parker, and he said something like this. He said, uh, speak to suffering people, and you will never lack for an audience <laughs> because a lot of people have problems. When you preach to hurting people, you, uh, you always will touch nerves of people that need it. And it's part of a shepherding. It's not the only part of shepherding, but it's certainly a major part of it. And I'm still in school, and I think I'm probably maybe about ready to get out of preschool and uh, work my way through another stage of shepherding people. But I think it's something that's good for us to look at and see what the Bible has for us. But here's our passage that we're, we're reading, first uh, four verses of First Peter and chapter 5. Brother Scott, would you mind just standing and read that? To, and then, then we'll read verse 4 with you. Would that be all right with you, Pastor? Let's all read together with Brother Scott. Can we do that? And when the and chief shepherd Let's pray together, can we? Father, thank you very much for the chance to be a part of this assembly. We've enjoyed a good meal and wonderful fellowship and at the hand of those who love us and who prepared for our coming. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. I do pray that you would please bless now as we talk about helping herding sheep within the flock that you've given us. Help us to know how to take the oversight and to serve the Lord uh, with uh, our own burdens and yet seeking to bear the burdens of others. And I pray that you would please help us to do so with the, the mind of Christ. And I, I'd appreciate your help today, Lord. I certainly don't want to waste our brother and sister's time. And, of course, we've just now eaten, so our, our, uh, our attentions will need to, to wane some probably just, just to stay focused. But I pray you might help us to be a profitable time. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. Of course, the Bible tells us to weep with them that weep, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But uh, learning to help hurting people is something I'm still working on, and I don't feel like I'm, a, I'm an authority in any way, shape, or form. And I'd like to get some of your feedback momentarily in just a few moments, but I do think it's important that we understand that, uh, that this world, Brother Hiles would say this on his radio broadcast when he would go off of the air, he'd say, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. And his mentality was, man, be good to everybody because um, very few people are, are clicking on all eight cylinders all the time. Somebody's having a hard time, and, and you can look into their eyes, and it looks like they have it all going on, but they have heartaches and difficulties. I think it's interesting to me, the Lord Jesus, uh, whenever he was born, of course, in Bethlehem, and then uh, lived there for a while till the, the wise men showed up, gave him enough money to move to Egypt for a while. They went over there and then came back to Nazareth, spent uh, time uh, in the uh, carpenter shop of his, of his dad and subjected himself to Mary and Joseph. 
At the age of 30, he met his cousin in the, in the River Jordan, and there he got baptized. And when he got baptized, that's where uh, God's Spirit anointed him, for sure. It was obvious to everybody on that Jordanian uh, uh, river there, Jordan River, that uh, something just happened to Jesus. God's Spirit came upon him, and the voice of God came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. And I'm very pleased with him. And, and of course, that, uh, that was a special day. It would take him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to fast and to pray and to spend time with his father. And then Satan shows up and greets him with uh, a question mark. Wherever God puts a period, Satan always puts a question mark. He just did, last thing he'd heard his father say, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. Then Satan says, if thou be the... Son of God. He challenges uh, what, je- what his father just told him. He says, my son, and I love him. I'm proud of him. I'm pleased with him. And Satan said, if you are the son of God, well, do this, this, and this. And, of course, uh, went through the temptation. Uh, and then, of course, uh, he, he overcame that with the written word of God that he spoke to Satan. And then the angels ministered to him. But then the Bible tells us he went back to Nazareth. And there... Um, he, uh, he went to the synagogue on a Saturday or on the Sabbath day. He, uh, it was time to read the scriptures. And then maybe they said, you know, Jesus, you want you, it's your turn. I want you to stand and read. And he read Isaiah 61. He read Isaiah 61, which is, says that he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to bind up uh, the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to set captives free and to help those that are bruised and and uh, then to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and uh, he read that passage of scripture in Isaiah and then he sat down and they looked at him and they said uh, is that, is, are you going to say something <laughs> he said today uh, is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears and of course they said you know Oh, come on, man. We grew up with you. You're Joseph's son. And, uh, and of course, he said a prophet was without honor in his own country and went ahead and explained a few things there. But it's interesting. The first thing that Jesus did after his uh, baptism, his time with the Father and fasting and prayer, he would now go about to pick uh, disciples. He would do that through. He hadn't done that yet. He was this, this Sabbath day that he... He talked about what he would do and how his ministry would be fulfilled, but getting the gospel out and helping hurting people. Brother Rick Martin, he's written a book, How to Start a Church in the Mission Field. If you don't have that book, we print it there in um, yeah, the Grace to Grow Publications, and it may be something that I think it would be worth for you having it. He has one chapter on just time management that I think is worth the, the, the cost of the book. It's, just, it's an amazing uh, just some practical things to help him, how to reach children. But he has one chapter on there, how to reach adults in your community as a missionary. Uh, and his first point is try to find out their greatest need and seek to help them with that. <coughs> Trying to find out their greatest need. Because uh, people don't care how much you know until... yeah. And if people don't trust you, they will not trust what you tell them. And uh, there is a there is a great there's a great thought in that. Let's go if we can, please, to Luke chapter number four, and let's look at a couple things. And then uh, I, I basically I'm going to tell you a few stories if it's okay. And then I want to I'd like to solicit a few things that may have 
you, you've experienced that might be helpful to the rest of us in this room, and I'd like to, to grow and learn with you. Luke chapter 4 is the story that I shared with you. Let's look real quickly, if we can, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he has been brought up, and his custom was, as he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When, verse number 17, he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. Read verse 18 with me, would you please? And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Yes, and to preach deliverance unto the captives, recovering of the sight of the blind. And then verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Our Father, please give us wisdom. I want to be a help, and I pray you please help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this particular thing, he just uh, he, he uh, got up and he preached that. He just read that scripture. And, of course, the uh, dialogue that took place later, some of it became very... Uh, very encouraging, what gracious words he spoke. Other people became very antagonistic toward him and, and, uh, and rebuffed him, rebuked him, and he bore reproach as a result of even reading that and telling them that I am that person who is anointed. But uh, I will tell you, I think he gives us some, some patterns here that can help us. You know, something I, I found out real quickly, because I served my first position in the inner city in an international setting. And uh, preaching is not, would not be my strong suit, I would think. But at the same time, I found out that people, um, in, in some areas of our world, if you can preach really good, people will flock to hear you preach. In North Carolina, <laughs> uh, maybe some other places in the hills, if you go there, if you're a good preacher, people will leave their church to come listen to you shuck the corn, whatever that means, okay? Um, <laughs> They'll get, they'll come, they'll come listen to you uh, preach, preach the house of fire. Okay, but uh, that is, uh, you know, I feel like that uh, people in inner city and, and and international cultures really don't give a rip if you can preach. They don't come to hear you preach. They come because you care about them, because you love them, because your boots on the ground, one on one. You know, Jesus. Uh, really, he understood that the masses were fickled. You know, whenever 5,000 came, we would have been impressed. The Lord Jesus was not necessarily impressed. He knew they were following him for a free lunch. And they came the next day, and he's like, let me tell you some things that the scriptures say. And they go, yeah, where's the loaves and the fishes? <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we're looking forward to the free lunch. When's that coming? And then, of course, he gave them the hard saying, unless you eat my flesh, ooh, you're sick, you know, and you drink my blood. Ah, we're out of here. And then all of them start leaving, and he looks at the disciples and says, will you also go? <laughs> he said, oh, well, sir, only you have the words of life. And I'm sure he winked to the Heavenly Father and said, finally, somebody gets this. <laughs> Somebody's going to stay with me here. Look at here. He knew of all the things he came to do when he came to the earth, he came to give his life a ransom for many. The second thing he did is try to get into the hearts of 12. And he wasn't absolutely successful. And if you think you might, you might have a little error for that, I do. I have, I have many more failures than I do successes. But I think learning to realize that ministry, I think, can be really multiplied by one-on-one -on -one work. And that's something all of us can do. 
Only a few of us will have a chance to really uh, pro pro proclaim a message that will really wow the audience from time to time. But all of us can, can reach one. We can love one. We can help them at their times of hurting. And I think you just keep doing one after another. It's amazing once you look around and see what God does. Great ministry is not built, in my opinion, behind a pulpit. Great ministry. There are a few folks who can do that. There are some folks that just, it's just a gift God gave them. And I, I admire them and hate them at the same time. <laughs> but most of us, that's not going to be our thing. We're going to need to learn to just to thank God for opportunities to stand behind a pulpit and prepare hours and pray and try to convey God's truth in a few moments. But most of us are going to be in the trenches one person at a time. It'll be the Nicodemuses. It'll be the woman at the well. It'll be the crippled guy at the pool of Siloam. It'll just, it'll just be uh, different people one on one. And if you get weary of that, you're going to find yourself really struggling in the work of the Lord. Because we need to help hurting people. Hurting people, helping them is a key to them getting saved. It's also a key to helping them grow in the Lord. Be in there at significant times. Because really, you're always, to some extent, on trial. I know that I don't have anything to prove and I have one person to please, and that's the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, I am every day somewhat being evaluated by people. They want to know, do I care about them? Are they going to be okay with me? You know, and every wife longs to have two things, significance and security. She wants to know, does she matter most to her husband after God, and is she going to be okay with this clown? Uh, that's what she wants to know. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, the same with a church family. It's the bride of Christ. They, have, they want to know, do they matter to, to their pastor? Do they matter to their man of God? And are they going to be okay by loving God with him? Is he going to care for them? Is he going to take them to, does he have their best interest in mind? And that's on, that's on trial quite often. It's on trial. I, I, uh, I've had the opportunity to do my next funeral next week will be 522 times that I've stood to comfort a family. You probably don't want to come to our church, you'll die, <laughs> you know. But uh, in 23 years of being a pastor, I've stood at a grave a graveside or a casket over 520 times. And uh, that makes me be at, be at the hospital many times and trying to help people through that and taking them down to the mortuary and sitting with them and finding out, okay, they've got insurance, they can handle this. These people don't have insurance. Hey, uh, sir, do you have any casket in the back that might be discounted because of a scratch or a, or a dent or something that might be able to help them? Is there any kind of brother-in-law deal we can do to encourage this family? They, they're, they're doing this out of pocket. It's going to be a little challenging. <coughs> Gathering up funds to help them, encourage them. But uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus read that, I think he set an example for you and I of helping people that are hurting. Now, a couple of things I'll just share with you. First of all, the first thing he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And I just want to remind you, one of your first responsibilities is to help those who are spiritually in bankrupt, people that are spiritually hurting. And um, getting the gospel out is so vital and so important. The way that we get help in our church, and, and Jesus talked about this, 
The money's in the fish's mouth. Uh, whatever we need in workers, we must learn to win them. Every once in a while, we'll get some folks, oh, good, this person joined our church. This person, and I thank God, for God definitely moves sheep to different flocks for his own purposes. But boy, we need to really work on saying, God, give me someone to win. Help me, lead me to someone who needs the gospel in my community. Make that a burden and a passion. We ought to pray every day for the lost. We ought to pray for world leaders, and we ought to pray for laborers. God commanded us to pray that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. We ought to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. We ought to pray that God would uh, send forth labors. But you're not going to get faithful labors if you don't win them to Christ first. Nothing more miserable than trying to disciple someone who doesn't have Christ. <laughs> Nothing more miserable than trying. And by the way, I think I've tried to disciple my own converts, and they don't do very well. The ones that God brought to himself through soul winning efforts, they do a lot better because they have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them working with that situation. But learning to pray for the lost, uh, I would encourage you men. And by the way, I don't exactly know the theology on this, why my prayers help get anyone else saved. I don't understand. I know it's a command of God, so I'm praying for all men to come to knowledge of the truth. But here's what I do know. When I learn to pray for the lost, I become more sensitive to win the lost, to witness the lost, to share the gospel. It does something on the inside of me. And one of our first jobs is going to have to be getting the gospel to people. The gospel is the most powerful thing on the planet. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the... Because it is the dynamite. It's the dynamite. The dunamis of God. That thing that blows up in the heart of a person. And, and by the way, uh, our stories are great. Our illustrations are fine. But the gospel is what really brings about the power. And I want to encourage everybody to get the gospel. Make that a focus. When you're talking to someone, you want to talk long enough to see how far we can go down the gospel trail. When you're witnessing to someone, when you're, when you're interacting, if you're buying a car, you're, you're pumping gas, or you're just talking to someone across the, the there's a reason that God, and you're thinking, you got to think about that, is this a gospel opportunity? And that's why I think gospel tracts are so important. You know, you know who gives out gospel tracts? It's people that have them. <laughs> if you don't have them, you're not giving them out. And I try to keep gospel tracts with me. And because gospel tracts will do three things. They, they create, they determine curiosity. They determine if someone is interested. Uh, you can usually find out. If you give a gospel track and they give it back to you, you can tell they're probably not interested. <laughs> okay, you can just catch that slow freight, you know, <laughs> and understand, okay, that person probably doesn't want to talk about the gospel right now. I remember the other day, but they determined your, your curiosity. I, I gave it to a lady. Her name was Brittany. I, did, I found out later. And it was on a plane, and she was there, and I, there was an empty seat between us. And we sat down, and I said, I said, ma'am, I'd like to just share it with us. I said, are you going home or away? She goes, I'm going away. I said, well, that's great. Can I just give you a gospel track? The, the best day of my life, someone explained the contents of this from God's Word, and it helped me. And she said, okay, thanks. And she just put it in her backpack. Well, I figured, okay, it's going to be a quiet trip. I'll get to read and do some other things because she's not, she's not interested. She put her headset on on that plane, and... Uh, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the flight, she took her headset off and she said, Mr., why did you give me that paper? I said, well, I gave it to you because it was the best day of my life and someone ever explained that paper to me. And she said, you know what? You're the third person in the last two weeks to give me a paper like that. I said, well, I got my Bible here. It even tells you more than what that paper says and it very explained that to you. Said, Would you let me do that, Brittany? She said, yeah, I'd like that. And I went to, went to the gospel and showed Brittany how to be saved. 
You know, the truth matters, if someone had not given her a track two other times, that conversation and the story I just told you would not be a reality. But you can, under, and you can never underestimate the power of a seed. It determines curiosity. It also opens up dialogue. Whenever you give someone a track, you at least open up some dialogue. That means we can talk to them about it. You can tell them about Jesus, about Christ, because it's, gonna, it's not about a church. It's not about a piece of paper. It's about Christ. So it opens up a dialogue. At least you can say the name Jesus Christ. And boy, I would encourage you never give a gospel track without mentioning Christ. But it opens up dialogue. And then, too, a gospel track can go places that you can't go. I remember years ago, I, was, um, I, gave a, I gave a track to a guy. He goes, oh, I already have one of those. He took out his wallet and showed me uh, in, in his wallet. He goes, here it is right here. I have another one at home. And I said, really? He said, yeah, where I sleep, I have a little uh, shelf right here. I taped it up there, and I read that prayer every night. I said, so do you know for sure you're going to heaven, Tom? He goes, no, no, I don't know that. I said, well, Tom, you're missing it. We gotta, we, we, someone's got to explain this to you. So you got time to explain it to you now? I took my Bible and showed Tom Cavanaugh how to get saved. And he trusted the Lord as a Savior. But it, gave, it, it took him to a place uh, of opportunity and, and uh, getting the gospel of Christ to them in that way. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you give out gospel tracts. They go places that you can't go. And they can talk to people that you can't talk to. But remember that the best thing you can do is preach the gospel to the poor. And that doesn't mean necessarily uh, people who are economically deprived. Now the rich and the religious are the hardest to win. People who have money and people who are, who are entrenched in religion are the hardest people to win. But they're no match for God. Nicodemus was in both of those categories, and he got saved. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. He, he God won him, and he can do that. But I think it means to the receptive. Preach the gospel to the receptive. Move with the movers. If you've got someone's real argumentative and doesn't want to do it, don't waste a lot of time with them. But preach the gospel to people who will accept it. And if they don't want to accept it, then move on to somebody who will. And ask God for opportunities to bring them to a place of, uh, of, of, of interest in that. The second thing we find here is that, that, that on verse number 18, he said, uh, I'm also here to send and to heal the brokenhearted. Do you know, I, I think about this, um, this thing is helping people whose hearts are broken. Um, Pastor and his wife, uh, uh, they, they went to a little photo studio, kind of those old-fashioned, you know, you can, get a, you can put some kind of gangster hat on or a pirate outfit or whatever. You can get an old-time Western thing. And so he, he, uh, he graciously purchased one. And he went down to the lady to talk to her and purchased, purchased a ticket or a, uh, a gift certificate. And gave it to us to go to the mall here in Edmonton and get it done. You know, yesterday morning, Lynn and I went over there. And we, uh, we said, all right, here, we got a gift certificate. And we're going to take a picture. And, and uh, she said, okay. And she fixed us all up and get us all decked out. And, and we, do, we had that picture here if you want to see it. You, you can get another $5 for Elizabeth if you want that in this situation. Uh, nonetheless, we got that picture with us. But nonetheless, it was just kind of a fun time. And we did that. At the end, she, she was... Um, Clicking on the computer, let me show you your pictures, and we'll select the ones you want to take. And, and then she just kind of paused. She said, you're pastors, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. My wife's not a pastor, but she helps me in that way. <laughs> said, um, she said, would you pray for me? I said, sure, we can. She said, my sister just died. And her funeral's on Friday uh, and, uh, at the Alliance Church over here. 
And she said, uh, it's the third person this year that died. My husband died in January last year after a fight with, with dementia. And then my mom died in March. And my sister was diagnosing cancer in April, and she just died this week. And, and uh, would you just pray for me? I said, sure, Lord. I said, Lisa, let me ask you something. Do you know for sure? You're, you're very familiar with death, but do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? And she says, no, I, I don't know that. I said, would you mind if I explained it to you and shared what the Bible says, how you can know that, how you can have reconciliation with God, how you can have forgiveness of sins. And, and Lisa there, and of course it's right, right beside lots of people coming in and out, but sat right there and no one interrupted us except for just people walking by. And, and Linda and I watched her fall and call out to the Lord and ask the Lord to save her. You know? And you think about you know, helping people who have a broken heart. My first few weeks of pastoring, actually first few months, I was pastoring the First Baptist Church of Long Beach, scared to death, nervous as a cat on a hot rock, trying to figure out how to do things. And, and so after I finished preaching, I would always go to the foyer, greet as many people who want to talk to me, and I'd try to talk to some people who were visitors or whatever. And, but there was always a man off to the side, and uh, he was off to the side, and, and he was a member of the church, but... Uh, Every week he would stand up there and he'd just say, you know, that was a very good truth. At the end of part, he'd just wait for me. He had a little wife standing beside him and he said, you know, it's a good message. You know, it would be helpful if you'd have used this verse to back up that point you had on that. And I said, I said okay, well, thank you very much, you know. And he goes, I know the Lord will help you. We're glad you're here, you know. And every week he was there. And, uh, and he would just say, you know, just something constructive. It wasn't antagonistic, but it was like, it started getting me paranoid. I was preaching, wondering what did I leave out and what is he going to put out? Because every week he would meet me and he'd say, you know, that was good. That was good. And boy, it was good. I, I really liked the outline you gave. And, and, uh, but I want to be more powerful in the real gospel, you know. And I was like, okay, yes, sir, yes, sir, you know. And so I was doing that. I remember one day we, we didn't have any money, so, but I wanted to get a new gospel track that would be something that our folks would be inspired and encouraged to give out a good gospel track that would... Uh, be something that would inter 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 introduce them to engaging with the lost. And man, we, we, we just scraped and money. Linda and I gave, and I encouraged people to give. And we finally got enough money to do the first printing of the gospel track. And I was excited and telling everybody, take someone on your way out. And, and so I finished shaking everybody's hand, and then sure enough, Joe came over and said, Hey, you know, you're pretty proud of those gospel tracks, aren't you? I said, Yeah. He goes, I'm excited. He goes, Yeah. Too bad they don't have the full gospel there. You, you didn't put this verse in there. If you'd put this verse, it would be a better gospel track. But uh, I'm sure the Lord could use them somehow or another. And I just thought, oh, I was just dying. But after several weeks, and I, after several months, really, every time, and very rarely, occasionally he wouldn't, talk, he wouldn't stop me or wouldn't talk to me. Maybe he had to leave early or something. But almost every week he would have something to point out to me, and I just, uh, I remember thinking, I'm about ready to thump this guy. I can't take it, you know. It's just, if I wanted to say, if you, know, if you don't like it here, uh, you know, I'm sure there's somebody that would meet all of your criteria, and I, I'm just not him, you know. And, and uh, But the Lord restrained me, and I said, you know, here's a guy. I don't know what his problem is, but he just doesn't like me. He's just having a hard time with me. But I remember asking the Lord, God, give me something I can do to help this guy. I don't know what it is. I don't know what his problem is. But if there's something I can do to help him. 
I remember one day, and it wasn't too long after I prayed that. I don't think it was the next week, but several weeks later. One day he came to me, and he, and he came to me, and I was kind of waiting and wondering what, what is gonna, he's going to help me with today. <laughs> and, um, and he said, uh, Pastor, um, my, my wife Sally, cancer has come back to her, and, and I've taken all the days off I can at work, and she has to go to the hospital, the doctor on Wednesday. Do you know of anybody who could take her? I said, yes, I can do it. My wife and I, we'll do it, we'll do it. He stepped back and he said, are you kidding me? No, I said, Joe, if that's what you need, that's what we want to do. I can help you. He said, okay, well, she needs to be picked up at her house. And he told me where that condo they lived and taken over to the hospital or to the doctor. And I said, we'll do it. Joe, do you want to worry about another thing? That's fine. And uh, after that, I, we did that. Linda took her and we, we took care of her. And as time would go, she, she didn't make it. I was there when she breathed her last breath. I was standing across the bed from Joe whenever Sally went home to be with the Lord. And uh, he had come back with the whole trauma and the, and the stress. Epilepsy had kind of come back on him. And, and I drove him down to the mortuary, and we picked out a casket and planned a funeral. That guy turned out to be one of the greatest things. But I found out that he went to Bible college. He graduated. He wanted to be a pastor. And then he wasn't faithful to his wife. He didn't treat her right. She left him. Took away the two kids they had. And he hadn't had a conversation with them in a long time. Sally was his second wife. And I was just a young whippersnapper. <laughs> filling a pulpit that he would have loved to have had the chance to do. But after that, I think I could have preached heresy and he had supported me. <laughs> he loved me. He loved me. He became like a publicity agent. He just said, oh, do you hear what Pastor said? He never did stop me again, never corrected me another time. He just helped me. He probably should have, but he didn't. <laughs> he just helped me. And you know, I find that we need, we're called to, to bless the brokenhearted, those whose hearts are broken and hurting. They're all over the place. And sometimes you find them to be antagonistic, but really they're just hurting. Because sometimes hurting people tend to hurt people. They might hurt you. There's, you're not the issue. There's somebody else. There's something else deeper inside of them. It might have been a pedophile when they were a teenager. It might have been a, a disappointment in another previous pastor or a hurt or difficulty. Uh, learning to help the hurting people. I think the next thing that Jesus pointed out here, it was not only to, to heal the brokenhearted, but to preach deliverance to the captives. People who are captivated. I, I, I think people who would fit in this category primarily could be you know obviously incarcerated but I think it's probably people who are captivated by addiction you know anybody like that I remember one time and sitting in a living room with a guy named David and uh, his dad I'd already tried to witness dad his dad didn't get saved but his dad was a neighbor they lived five doors down from me and when, his, when I met his dad and we started inviting his uh, the dad's grandkids to church and they all four began to come he would say to me, I want you to meet my son when he comes home. I want you to meet my son. What I did not know is his son was in the 82nd Airborne in the United States Army, and then he came home. He got on drugs, methamphetamine, and he was incarcerated at the time. But when he came home, I, he, he called me and said, hey, can you come meet my son? I went down there, and I shared with David how he could be saved on the couch of his house. The, the house had windows broken out in it. It was not a... 
it was in Long Beach, so it wasn't that big of a deal to be in Long Beach with that. That would be a problem if you lived in Edmonton like that, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was just what it was. It was just, it wasn't up cap. But talked to David right there, and we got on our knees beside his couch, and he accepted the Lord as his Savior. But though God saved him from his sin, he didn't save him from his addiction for many years. The next eight or nine years was just unbelievably challenging to me. I couldn't understand why do you keep going back into this? He, he loved me and I loved him. He had the gift of giving. I taught him to tithe and he just got a hold of tithing. He would tithe even when he was on drugs, he would tithe. When he couldn't even sit still in church, he would still bring some money and say, here this, I work this. And I remember so many times on a Friday afternoon I'd call him and he wouldn't answer. I thought, oh no. And I'd see him on Tuesday night knocking on my door at 11, 2 o'clock in the morning. His eyes sunk back in his head, being on four or five days of not sleeping. Can't even keep his clothes on and his shoes are off and his feet are hurting. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry, man. He said, my dad, my dad's yelling at me. I'm going to have the police over there in a minute. Do you got any money or get a place I can just rest a little bit? And I'd put him in my garage or make a pallet in my front, front room and tell him don't get up and nurse him, try to get him back to health. I'd meet him in a hotel room one day and just let him scream and holler coming off of drugs. and He would just drive me crazy. He loved me, I loved him, but I thought, my goodness, what in the world? What can I learn? I learned a lot about the patience of God for me. But I remember him just being so captivated, I couldn't understand it. I remember going to his apartment on 3rd and Cedar in Long Beach, and he just moved into this apartment that was just infiltrated with all these drug, drug uh, other people all in that place. It was just easy to get to. And I thought, I went to him, I said, David, I'm just going to pray that God will either take you home to be with the Lord or deliver you because you're making a mockery of the things of God. Your nieces and nephews, the people at church, you're just, you're just, you're just causing all kinds of turmoil and hurting people. You don't care. You don't care. I prayed with him and I walked out and he said, God, can I join that prayer? He didn't tell me this, but after I left, he said, can I join that prayer with Pastor? Either take this away from me or kill me. And uh, he walked out of his, out of his door uh, later on that night, and the police put him in jail. And I forget going to see him in Los Angeles County Jail and have to go there. There's a big glass, and you talk there, and he's on the other side. And I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, doing okay. He said, uh, Pastor, how long do you think I'm going to stay in here? I said, I hope you stay in here to you till God delivers you. That's what I hope you stay in here. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. I'm not going to do anything to get you out of here earlier. Just figure it out. He said, I, I don't know. I feel something different in me. I said, well, good. I'm glad. That's about time something happened differently. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. He, he, he had like 72 more days supposedly to be in jail. I left there, and he called me on my way home and said, hey, Pastor, they let me out. <laughs> I came, I came, you came to see me, and they said, hey, it's a cool, you roll it up. You're out of here. And uh, so I said, well, okay, good. And so anyway, a, f a few days later, he came back, and he got situated back in, and I remember one day he called me and said, hey, Pastor, there's a ball of speed right in front of me. I said, well, get away from it, you big idiot. <laughs> no, don't, don't keep looking at the speed. I've seen him just eat it, you know, and I thought, you know, get away from it. He goes, no, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I don't want it. I don't want it because it's gone. I said, I don't, still get away from it. Would you please just get away from it? And he called me another time. He goes, I'm standing in the drug house. I said, what are you doing in the drug house? Get out of there. He said, no, Pastor, I've seen drugs everywhere. I don't want the drugs. 
I said, well, good. Still get out of the drug house. Get, all, get over there. And I started watching the Lord begin to change David and just change him. You know, it just uh, it was a beautiful thing. And uh, that was in May and October. His dad had a massive heart attack, excuse me, a stroke on a Sunday night. His dad came down to my door and knocked on my door one Thursday morning as my neighbor and said, hey, Pastor, I think I'm ready to get saved. Can you go to me and get saved? It's the only time it ever happened. They went out to my door and asked me how they get saved. The rest of them, I've been on their door, you know. But he got saved, and his dad had a stroke right in his passenger seat as he was leaving the church, and, and he took him down there. And, you know, David, that was, uh, that was October 2012. He's been taking care of his dad for all this time. His dad's invalid. He's in his hospital bed. Dave's a truck driver and a, and a union worker. He has someone to watch his dad during the day, and he watches him at night. He's done his diaper hundreds and thousands of times, feeds him every meal, puts all his medicine in him. You know what David does? He is, he's getting ready to marry a missionary lady. He, he gives $1,000 a week to missions. Over and above, tithes and offering. He's probably five times in the last 10 years given me $1,000. The most recent time, he gave me $2,000 for a man who lost his wife. And he just comes and he, and he, he, can't, he gives money away like a drunken sailor. He can't keep a dime. But every time he wants to give, God gives givers something to give. You know, it's wonderful to see God deliver people. Think about a guy named Geronimo. Geronimo's a pastor now in Southern California. But I remember he was sleeping in the, the bushes of Long Beach with his girlfriend, Jessica, and a homeless. And someone invited him to a homeless service at our church. And he came. And second week he came. He got saved that, that first week. He, excuse me. I think he might have gotten saved before, but got his salvation settled. And his girlfriend got saved. They got baptized that day. The next week, they came. I saw them, so called their name, Jessica and Geronimo, and they, they came. About, th about three weeks later, they said, you know what? We used to have no problem sleeping together. He said, but we're getting kicked in the tail by this uh, bad feelings we have about being, you know, being together and we're not married. How do you get married? I said, well, I can help you figure that out. <laughs> he said, uh, I said, well, you're going to need probably $75 for the, to go down to the court and get the, get the marriage license. And, then we can come, we can put together a wedding. He goes, no, no, no. I said, I'll, I'll help you find it. He goes, no, 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 don't you help me. He went out and collected cans and bottles. And, and about four days later, he came back. Here's our license. What is the next thing we do, you know? And I said, okay, well, let's plan a wedding. And so we did a wedding on a, on a Sunday afternoon. David Gibbs was there for Sunday night. Here it is in a Sunday night service. And Geronimo and his wife, she's at a white wedding dress right here beside him in the middle of the service. And they just got married in the afternoon. They're in church on Sunday night. and and uh, But... Going to doing a, doing a, a church for the first time and learning, boy, it's just, I never forget, he just was growing. It was so fun. He started discipleship lessons, one, two, three. He was just growing. And I remember about two months, they were getting ready to get a little apartment together. And uh, she was working. He was, he was trying to find some jobs. And he said, hey, Pastor, before I got saved, I was part of this, like, um, check writing scheme, you know. And, and someone would give me a check for 400 and and I'd go cash it, and I'd give them 300 and let me keep 100 So I did that numbers of times, and unfortunately, it's caught up to me. There's a warrant out for my arrest. I think my grandma lives in Colorado. I don't think they're going to extradite me. They won't chase me, but I'm thinking about moving. Or what do you think I should do? I thought, oh, man, God's going to be so merciful to you. He's going to help you. You're growing like crazy. I went to court with him. I thought, this would be great. And they slammed him with like 11 months in jail, you know. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that wasn't what I saw coming there, you know. <laughs> Lord, where's your mercy? <laughs> you know, and uh, but those eleven months, he read his Bible through completely, read his New Testament through thirty times, 
And he came out like a walking Bible. And he just was just growing. And I saw him no more of that. But then one day he was helping in a church and, and found some cocaine and, and uh, did cocaine in the basement of the church. Had to remove him of his responsibility. He got bitter about that, hurtful about that. I remember going to see him afterwards and just never real disrespectful, but just like, you know, like I've sinned, but honor me now. Come on, you're going too, you're going too hard on me and you're, you're, not, you're not being fair. And, but, you know, God began to work a work of grace in there and, and uh, had the joy just a few years ago to be a part of his ordination council. And now he's a pastor of a church that has about 130 people in it. And uh, God has used him in a great way. He's got a wife, Jessica, three beautiful kids. And drugs is now a part of his past. Aren't you glad God can give captivity? Uh, he can give liberty to the captive. Other things. And you guys all have stories about this. But all of it's not cheap. Everything I'm telling you and everything you would tell me, it's not done because it just feels good. And, and, and there's not heartaches and difficulties. You work in the First Nation, you know. A 14-year-old boy killed himself on, on Sunday morning on his reservation. And people overdose on drugs and challenges. But, and you, I have those stories, too. But I think that we learned what Jesus did. You know what? We just, we just help people that are broken, people that are blind. I remember leading a man to Christ. His name was Iqbal Singh. He was from Punjab, India, and had an Indian restaurant. And I led another man to the Lord who was former Hindu, Chris Darasomi. And when he got saved, I said, hey, anybody else you know that might want to get saved? He goes, oh, I don't know if he'll listen to you, but Iqbal, he's, you know, he works at the Indian restaurant. Go see him. And I went to see him for five years. And he would always say, why you bother me? Come on, man, I'm Hindu. You're, you're Christian. I don't want to be Christian, you know. Save your time. Save your papers. Keep it your papers, you know, and that kind of thing. And I just like, well, he's probably not terribly interested, but he does have a good mango lassie. I'll go see that again. <laughs> Remember going to see him many times and, and uh, trying to talk to Iqbal and, and Bali, they called him, you know. And, and uh, you know, he just would shine me on, say, I work every day. If I want to go to church, I go to church. I don't want to go. That's why I'm not there, huh? huh? You know, it's like... You know, it's like but then one day, Chris calls me, and uh, Chris Darstomi, the guy led to the Lord who told me about him, he was a deacon of our church at that time, been through discipleship and become a deacon uh, at, the, at the nomination and election of our people. And he said, Pastor, I think Bali's coming to church tomorrow morning, Easter morning. He says he wants to come. He wants to sit by me. I said, well, great. Well, that surprises me, but I'm glad. And boy, that day, Bali sat there. He was so happy. He looks like Mr. Clean, bald, bald head guy, you know, and... He was sitting there. He was so happy. He said, uh, nothing wrong with bald-headed people. You know, I understand that. God doesn't, doesn't cover busy airstrips. And we know that's going on. There. Cover some of his finest furniture. He doesn't want to do that. All those good things. My hair is so thick, Moses couldn't part it. <laughs> you know, but... But nonetheless, we got all that we, he, he, he said, he's coming. And I saw him that day on the Easter morning. I preached on the resurrection of Christ. He didn't come forward or anything, but... Man, he started, he got my phone number every day. Where are you now? Call me now. Where are you? Come to my restaurant. You like spicy? <laughs> I'd never even ate his food before. You know, I'd always just get the mango lassi because the food didn't really look that good to me, you know, and it smelled different, you know, a lot of curry and all that. And he called me and said, where are you? Where are you now? Come to my restaurant. I, I make good food for you. You like spicy, you know. I was like, I'll try it, you know. And boy, by the one week of eating there every day, my skin smelled curry, you know. I <laughs> felt like I was part Indian, you know. And, Oh, it was just, 
But he started coming, changed his hours of restaurants, started coming Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, Sunday morning. And, and he, he started bringing visitors. I thought, good night. And I thought to myself, you know, is this guy saved? I tried to explain it to him. He goes, I understand, I understand. I said, no, you don't understand, you know. And I, I got him a Bible in Hindi and a Bible in Punjab and a Bible in English. And he goes, I understand everything perfectly. No, you don't understand. You don't know. It's like, I, I, asked, I asked Chris, I said, Chris, what do you think? Do you think he's saved or is he just adding a God, you know, another God to his Hindu he goes, he says, he's really nice to me. I mean, he calls me every day. He wants me to go eat or drink something there or drink tea with him or something. And he says, no, I think you become like another God to him, Pastor. I said, that's what I'm afraid of. I don't want to be another God to him. I want him to know Jesus. I kept telling Jesus, Jesus. And I remember him telling, you know, to, uh, to I had an Indian man that came through, spoke to India. I said, uh, can you explain the gospel to someone? Here? Oh, yeah, it's my native tongue. I said, well, look, I'm going to get this guy and I want you to sit down with him and I'm Take 45 minutes, pretend like he doesn't know anything, and explain the gospel. He asked me about him. I told him what I just told you. He goes, oh, that guy's already a Christian. I said, I don't want to assume that. I don't know that he is, but give it to him straight. And I remember him coming back, and I was praying that 45 minutes. I was watching them from my car, and they were talking back and forth, and he's explaining them. I told Bali, don't eat, don't make bread, don't make food, sit still for 45 minutes. Okay, I do it, I do it, you know. And so he, he went ahead and sat there, and I was watching and praying, Lord, please help me get saved. I was waiting for him to bow his head and pray, and he didn't do it, you know. And so I came in afterwards, they come in, Ambassador, and I said, okay. I said, uh, I said, well, I explained the gospel to Bali. He said, he said, okay, Bali, you believe this? He goes, yeah. He goes, I already do that. He said, well, when did you do that? He goes, the first day I go to John's church. He told me Jesus died, buried, rose again. No Hindu God do that. I believe it. <laughs> and uh, he said, I said, okay, well, praise the Lord. He got baptized, and, uh, and then I remember the day he wanted to get all the idols out of, his, out of his restaurant, you know, and he's like, hey, he goes, I don't know what to do. He goes, I'm really bothered. And I said, what's the matter with you? He goes, all these idols, I don't want them anymore. I don't like them. But my family say, if I want to get rid of them, I have to go out to, to the Pacific Ocean and put them in the ocean. Because that's going to appease the gods. going to have bad things happen to me and my wife and my family. And my wife's over in India. And I said, no, they're, they're just dumb idols. Don't, don't yeah. forget it. Just put them in the garbage bag. Throw them in the dumpster. He said, no. I said, yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. He told me when I came back, he, I did what you told me. I threw it in the dumpster and I ran away real fast. <laughs> He said, nothing happened. Jesus is stronger. And I said, yeah. I'll never forget the day that his wife, John Swat, got saved. He said, Pastor, I have something special to tell you. My wife in India, she and Jesus now. And it's just beautiful to see that. Now he's in India, and he, he has services in the morning at night in his home in India, teaching people the Bible. And, you know, sometimes he'll, I'll show him pictures. He'll, he'll FaceTime me. We'll FaceTime each other on WhatsApp. And, He'll say, you know, he, all these people don't speak English, and he speaks English. He goes, hey, this is my attorney, and he's, he's not in Jesus yet. No, he's not ready yet. <laughs> this guy, he's a good guy. He got, he's in Jesus now. <laughs> and my brother-in-law, he's in Jesus now, you know. This guy, no, he's not in Jesus now. <laughs> and he just tells me who's in Jesus and who's not in Jesus. But, you know, I asked him, I said, Polly, why did you take five years? He said, I don't know. I'm just blind. Yeah. I don't know why. I tell you, yeah. keep your papers. Yeah. And, of course, what happened was his daughter was in Toronto in med school. And he called her one Saturday night and said, you know, I don't know why I'm not happy. I have your mom. I have you. I have your brothers. I have business. I paid off the business in one year. 
I, I bought my house in Long Beach, but I should be happy by now. I'm not happy. He goes, you know, Daddy, you made us Hindu, but Christians are happier than Hindus. Tomorrow is their big day. Their Easter Sunday. Why don't you find a good church? Like, do you know a church like that? Yeah, this tall guy comes in aggravation. <laughs> he said, go to that church, Daddy. Okay, I don't know where it is. I threw away all his papers, you know. <laughs> oh, I know Chris. I'll call Chris. And he called Chris, and then Chris told him to come and all that. But you know what God does? He helps us help people and delivers the blind, the spiritually blind, from the difficult things. And then, of course, uh, I've gone too long here, but... Um, there are people who are bruised. And uh, you know people that are hurting, don't you? They're bruised by pedophiles in their youth. They're bruised by, by father wounds and mother wounds. And their, their pains are deep. And they need a lot of help and attention. But uh, that's what God called us to do. To help those who are bruised. And encourage them. You keep doing it. You're going to find one after another. And then you'll preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In just a few days, the Lord Jesus is coming back. We only have a little parentheses of time to care for the sheep. May the Lord help us to do so effectively. Let's pray together, can we? God, please help us, I pray. Lord, as I, as I reflect on some of these stories, illustrations, I just am so glad that your gospel works. And that caring for hurting people is something we can do together. Bless, I pray, each of my brothers and sisters today. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Rice and his beautiful wife and girls and the great people here at uh, Cornerstone Baptist who would host a meeting and the camaraderie that's in this room. May you help each of us to love you and to shepherd hurting people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask your attention, I want, I want to, let's have four or five people just tell me something that's helped you in shepherding. We don't have time for stories like I told you, and I'm sorry, but something maybe that, that God has taught you about shepherding and hurting, helping hurting people in your ministry. Someone tell me something that might be helpful to the rest of us here real quickly. Anybody? I need your help on this. Don't let me sit by myself back here. Yes, sir. What you said is so true and so essential. Find their need and uh, help them out there. Thank you, Brother Dan. Show them you care. Show them you love them. Show them they matter to God and yeah. to you. Yeah. It's so important. And learning to be patient while you try to help them, you know. Yeah. Be patient. They're going to come around. They'll have something come up, you know. I have a, a man that I've been working with, but one day I walked into a shop. I've tried to talk to him. I've given him things. And one day he asked me, how come you keep you take Jesus off your cross? Don't the Catholic leave him on the cross? And this guy, is a, he's, not a, he's not a Christian, but he wanted to ask. And it gave me a chance to, to do it. I took him, brought him to the church. We talked him around a little bit. And one day I went into his, his place of business. And, hey, how you doing? And everybody's like really quiet. So what happened? He said, man, Brian's dad's dead. He died. And I just went over to Brian and prayed with him. He's still not a Christian, but something happened in that prayer and that time of just praying with him that he became like, he's like, you know, when I go to his rest, his place now, he goes, oh, this is your place. This is not just my place. You and me like brothers, you know. And I'm thinking all over a prayer, but I was able to be there at a time where he, and he doesn't even believe in Jesus, but he, that was a time, and it takes prayer to do that. Could somebody else real quickly, patience, yes, sir, brother, Jim? change overnight. And we had one lady that I was seeing for 
60s, you know, uh, lesbian, and, and uh, we just loved on her. In fact, uh, she had never held a baby until she held her grandchild, and she was old 60s, and just loving on her, and just trying to be a help. Amen. Great, great, great thought. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. Somebody else real quickly. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, speaking, people aren't fed up with Christianity. They're just fed up with communication. Yeah. But God's love, and we let the Lord love through us. Yeah. And talk to people. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point right there. Good. Somebody else real quickly. Yes, sir, Brother Pat. God used Isaiah 61 to tell me to preach. He did. So that, that list right there that you just went through. So sometimes when I get frustrated or impatient or whatever, God's just like, hey, this is what I called you for. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's great. And going back to that truth. Yes, sir, brother. I'm dealing with a, a group that uh, came to church. Kind of a funny story. The one young man who comes to church, he's got the Canadian flags, and he's got an obscene sign of Pluto. You can imagine what that looks like. But he's, he's a freedom fighter. You know, they talk about the whole COVID thing and not taking vaccine and all of that. But they've been coming to our church because so many of the churches That's not really what this is about. What this is about is like these are these are really hurting people whose lives are messed up. And uh, I was at the home of one of the ladies at her home. Her, her mother is in her she's 104, huh. and she she knows she needs to get up and pray. Prayer that prevents death and prevents cancer. Praise the Lord. I know this angle is pretty much uh, a little bit about helping hurting people before they get saved, and then sometimes af after we didn't give a good attention to that, but there's a lot of things we can do to our people that are hurting too. And God gave you two ears and one mouth, catch the hint, <laughs> and learning to listen is very important. Learning to listen, learning to be there. You don't have to say a lot, listen. And I think those are some great things you can do when people are hurting. Good. One more person real quickly. Yes, sir. I just said about the family. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? I think for us, just, it's easy to love what we're called to, but we're called to our family. Yeah. 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 They're your priority, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Good. Yes, Brother Vasi. I have to say that never assume just because someone has a Christian background that they're saved. We had a lady come to our church, and she came to believe so much. She wanted to raise her kids in church, but she grew up, and it wasn't three months later coming to our church. She was isn't that great? Yeah. Never assume that someone is saved. Keep asking that. I've led people to Christ out soul winning. They were my soul winning partner. <laughs> and I said, so well, tell me when you got saved. Uh, you know, uh, you're scaring me about that every Sunday morning. You ask that question. I don't know. And be able to lead them to the Lord and other situations. That's kind of sweet. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Me share one quick thought and we'll have a time of prayer before we